2: When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer, Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here, we... Welcome everybody, episode 672 of the podcast. It is Swing America, the AirTour Sports Podcast presented... By Sports Sportsbook, it is Monday, February 27th, 2023. People, I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day. When I tell you we got a jam-packed Monday episode, final Monday of February, it's feeling like March, and it is going to feel like March on today's AirTour Sports Podcast. Here's what you need to know about today's show. We hit on everything. Busy day in college hoops on Saturday. There is so much to react to Indiana. How about my Hoosiers going into Purdue, getting the win there? Here's what it means for Indiana. Here's what it means for Purdue, Kentucky. They're smacking Auburn. I told you a week ago, they were the team nobody wanted in their bracket. Everybody want to get mad at Torres. We're going to discuss that. We're obviously going to discuss the latest with Alabama, the Brandon Miller, Alabama pat down. We all saw it. I have some thoughts on that. Some other odds and ends from what was a fun loaded Saturday of college hoops. And then two quick realignment stories to wrap the show. Florida State, uh, they're 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 hinting really hard they want out of the ACC. Not sure if there's anything they could do. And then we got another sad report about the state of the Pac-12. It is not looking good. We have a lot to discuss. Jam packed Monday show, so much to get into. So with that said, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, I'll tell you. So so here's the thing, right? Everybody knows. I think it goes without saying. Your boy Torres loves college hoops, okay? But there's this thing that we do. Every time that there's a big game, November, December, January, whatever it is, every time there's a good game, good atmosphere, whatever, I see all this, oh, it's only November, but it feels like March. It's only November, it's only December, but it feels like March. Here is what I'm here to tell you. Stop saying that because as we get closer to March in this sport, There is just a different atmosphere, a different energy in this sport. And on the final Saturday of February, the final, the second to last Saturday of the regular season, we got ourselves just a a day that felt like college basketball is officially on center stage. Iowa trailed by 13 points with a minute 34 to go. They come back to win. Uh, Arizona State beats Arizona at the buzzer in a game that put Arizona State back on the bubble. The dirt was on the grave for Arizona State's bubble chances. They win. Miami up by 23 at halftime. They lose at the buzzer to Florida State. So this felt like March. It just felt like wall-to-wall hoops all day long. By the way, San Diego State won at the buzzer, too. No big deal. But with that said, as I said, topic of the day, I'll tell you this. In what was a great day of college hoops, I don't think there was a bigger story than what happened in a lovely little town that the folks call West Lafayette, Indiana, Indiana at Purdue, mega game, mega rivalry between what I think we all think is the two best teams in the big 10. Well, Indiana walks into Mackey arena, one of the toughest road environments in all of college basketball. And they walk out with a 79 to 71 win. Indiana upsets their cross state rivals on the road. And I just got one thing to say, baby. You already know where I'm going with this. That's right. How about my boy, Mike F. Woodson? I just pulled up the Mike F. Woodson tee. For those of you watching on YouTube, you can get yours at eritoresonline.com. Mike F. Woodson, Indiana. What a win! And let me just say this. People are going to say, how did it happen? Why did it happen? What happened? What went right? What went wrong? I'm here to tell you one thing and one thing simply: Indiana had, on Saturday, the best player on the court. Indiana has the, 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 the most likely NBA player. Bottom line, one team had Jalen hood shafino You want to start taking out your notepad, writing down names to know? I will tell you this. Indiana's Jalen hood Shafino, freshman guard. If you need to know one name, maybe out of the entire Big Ten for March, this is the name, and he is the reason why Indiana wins. So Indiana goes into this this game, you know, like I said, a small underdog they had beaten Purdue a few weeks ago in West Lafayette. This is the return game, and it was, you know, kind of touted as this matchup of big guys down low. Zach Eady, the All-American at Indiana, Trace Jackson Davis, the All-American at Indiana. But Trace Jackson Davis got in foul trouble early. If one, th- if Purdue has one thing, it's size down low. And Trace Jackson Davis was kind of taken out of this game, especially early on. Well, Indiana puts the ball in this kid, Jalen Hood, Shafino's hands. If you have not watched Indiana, this kid has evolved. This kid has gotten better throughout the year. He is a freshman. I believe he's from the Memphis area, if I'm not mistaken. But the bottom line is this is a kid who, who came in as a McDonald's All-American, highest-ranked high school player that came into the Big Ten this year. He has played his way up NBA draft boards. And on Saturday night, he looked like an NBA guard. 23 points, ball in his hands, beating guys off the dribble, getting into the lane, floaters, runners, three-pointers, passes to the you know the cutters and this and that. He was the best player on the floor early, 23 first-half points. He single-handedly, Kept Indiana in the game. They trail by four at halftime. Then Trace Jackson Davis comes out in the second half. He is able to stay out of foul trouble. Beyond that, uh, all of the veterans that Indiana has, the Miller Cops, the guys like that, they are able to get into a rhythm. And all of a sudden, you look up, and Indiana is in complete control of this game. The final score was 79-71. to It really wasn't that close, as overall, Jalen hood Shafino finishes with 35 points. Indiana hits 7 of 15 from 3. Trace Jackson Davis, in an off game, still manages to have 10 points, 8 rebounds, 7 assists, and a block. And Indiana gets the victory in West Lafayette. And so what I would say about kind of the reaction and the big picture of this game, now look. I have been saying since December, I am not a believer in Purdue. But I don't believe that Saturday night was really about Purdue and this and that. And we'll certainly talk about Purdue in a minute. But to me, what Saturday was about, it was about Indiana, Indiana elevating as an entire program. And Indiana now, I believe, and I've said this for weeks, they're the team that's best built to win in the NCAA tournament. And I'll say say this, and I truly believe it. This is the best Indiana team that I can remember in a long time that is built to actually make noise in March. 2013, they got a number 1 seed. They went to the Sweet 16. 2012, with Cody Zeller and Victor Oladipo, they get to the Sweet 16 and lose to Kentucky. Those were the last times that Indiana really had a team to not only win in the regular season but to win in March. This team is very much like that. Because when I look at Indiana, by the way, I've been saying this for about three, four weeks now. I said, I think Indiana is better built to win late in the season in March than Purdue is. But why is Indiana built that way? Well, one, think about through history, all of the the teams that have success in March. We don't even have to talk about teams that strictly win a national championship. But what do you need? You need veterans that have been there before. What has been my criticism of Alabama outside of the chaos of the last week all year? Do they have dudes that have been there for their top six scorers or freshmen at Alabama? Indiana's got guys that have been there. Trace Jackson Davis has been at Indiana forever. Race Thompson has been at Indiana forever. They have veteran guys who have been through it all, been to the NCAA tournament, been on that biggest stage. You need shooting. They have that. You need, most importantly, in my opinion, I think two things. You need NBA talent, and you need guards that can make plays When all hell breaks loose, because at the end of the day, I always say this. We could talk about, you know, coaching and seeding and region and this and that. If you look at the history of the NCAA tournament, the one thing more than anything that leads to success. Do you got those dudes that can make plays? I mean, you even go back to Kansas last year. That wasn't thought of as any sort of historically great team, nothing like that. Kansas still had two guys that went in the first round of the NBA draft last year and Ochai Abadji and Christian Brown. And oh, by the way, Jalen Wilson is going to go in the first round of this upcoming NBA draft, in my opinion. Well, Indiana, they certainly got the guys that I believe are next level guys, specifically Jalen Hood-Shafino. Listen, he's been up. He's been down. He's been good. He's not been good. But in March When you need plays, you either got those guys that can just go make a play for you or you don't. Think about the the narrative around John Calipari for the year, through all these years. He needs that guard that can go make plays. John Wall, um, Derek Rose, this year, Kaysen Wallace, De'Aaron Fox. Do you have the guy that can go make plays or do you not? And Indiana has that guy. Jalen Huchofino isn't perfect, but when you can go on the road, 35 points. 14 of 24 shooting from the field, seven rebounds, two assists. You're that dude. And if he can do it in Mackey arena on a Saturday night with the world watching, guess what? He can do that in the NCAA tournament as well. And so I'm really excited about this Indiana team. Really excited about my boy, Mike Effen Woodson. Get your tease, Aaron Torres online.com Aaron Torres online.com. But why I'm excited about this team is because I think the ceiling, to, to quote Michael Jordan, remember Michael Jordan, he was trying to say there is no ceiling on this team. It's one of my favorite quotes of all time. There is no ceiling on this team, and he said the ceiling is the roof. Well, the ceiling is the roof for this Indiana team because, again, I always talk about what have I said on this show for the last month, and anybody who loves college basketball said, this is a wide-open year. So take this Indiana team. They've already played Kansas. they played Kansas at Fog Allen Fieldhouse, they're a better team since then. That was the game that they had an injury to their guard, Xavier Johnson. They've played Arizona. They've played North Carolina. They've played in this Big Ten. They've played and won at Xavier. They're, they can play anyone, anywhere, any style, any of this, any of that. The interesting thing, I would actually say this, the most interesting thing about Indiana going forward, and the one I one concern I would have, They actually have an interesting decision to make, kind of similar to what Arkansas went through a few weeks ago with their star freshman, Nick Smith Jr. So Xavier Johnson was their starting point guard, and Jalen hood Shafino was kind of playing off the ball. Xavier Johnson was averaging 10 points and 5 assists per game, and he got hurt in that Kansas game back on uh, uh, December 17th, right before Christmas, he gets hurt. And so why that's interesting is that he hurts his foot. He breaks his foot. He's about ready to come back. And Mike Woodson said the plan is to bring him back. Now, I've heard varying things about the fact that if he doesn't play, he can actually technically take a redshirt year ear and come back for another year. I don't know what the plan is, but Mike Woodson said, or Mike Effenwoodson, Woodson, depending on, on how you look at it, Mike Effen Woodson said that he plans on bringing him back when he is ready to come back. And so that's actually the most interesting thing with Indiana. They got a groove. Everybody knows their roles. Jalen Hood Shafino is the guy with the ball in his hands. Trace Jackson Davis takes over games down low. What happens if Xavier Johnson comes back? That is the interesting thing, in my opinion. That is what I want to watch. But I'm telling you, you talk about a team, they're going to be on that 3-4 line that can play with anybody. Give me the Indiana Hoosiers. By the way, one other interesting fact about Indiana. Believe it or not, and this is going to sound crazy, they have never. Won the Big Ten tournament. We put the Big Ten tournament in place in 1998. They have not won one since. I think they're going to be the favorites going into that tournament about 10 days from now. Really quickly from the Purdue perspective, listen, I want to take a moment, appreciate what Indiana did. I'm not trying to be disrespectful to Indiana and what they did at Mackey on Saturday night. But I also believe, and I've said for months now, I am not a believer in Purdue And I think why I'm not a believer in Purdue was on full display on Saturday. Listen, they're a good team. They're a nice team. And Zach Eady, probably the national player of the year. Now I think there's an interesting case. Can he be national player of the year, but Trace Jackson Davis wins big 10 player of the year? We'll debate that a week from now. But why I bring it up, when you look at this team, what have I and everybody who loves this team said about Purdue? If, listen, Zach Eady. He's 7 for 4. He is going to get his 20 and 10. But the question that I have always had about Purdue, what about everybody else around him? And does he have enough talent around him? And I look at Saturday as the perfect example of what Purdue's flaws and weaknesses are. Zach Eadie was awesome on Saturday night. And Zach Eadie deserves every piece of praise that he's getting. 26 points, 16 rebounds, two blocks against Indiana at home at Mackey Arena. But as great as that is, it's also worth noting that outside of Zach Eady, one player scored in double figures, Fletcher Lawyer. Overall, they shot five of 23 from three. As a team this season, Purdue is shooting 33% from three. And I think it's also kind of worth noting that they actually had, relative to the Big Ten... A relatively easy schedule by Big Ten standards. Minnesota is in last place. They took care of Minnesota a few weeks ago. Ohio State tied for second or in second to last place, 13th out of 14 teams. They've played them twice. They played Nebraska twice, who's in 12th place out of the 14 teams in this league. They will play Wisconsin for a second time this week in the coming couple days. And so I bring it up to simply say, I think they took advantage of the middle and the bottom of the Big Ten quite a bit. They lost on the road at Maryland, who's second in the league. They lost on the road at Northwestern, who's third in the league. They're 0-2 against Indiana, who's tied in that second spot. You start to look at who they beat and where they beat them. They protected their home court until Saturday night, but they lost. There are three teams right now currently tied for second place in the Big Ten. They lost to all three of them on the road. And so when I look at this Purdue team, it's not to criticize. It's not to be critical. It's just to say I've never felt like they're elite. Now, maybe nobody's elite this year and it doesn't matter. But what I also think we saw on Saturday was beyond the fact they don't have anybody besides uh, 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 Zach Eady. What I think we also saw, their guards aren't good enough to win in March. And it's no disrespect. It's not that I don't like Purdue. but. Indiana walked into their place. They had the best player on the floor. He took over that game, and it was over. There was nothing they could do to stop him, and there was nothing they could do to keep up with Jalen hood Shafino. and that's why I think that matters because it's one thing if you have guys that are off shooting whatever this, that, the other thing, but if you don't have a guy that can lock down that other guy's difference maker at the guard spot, good luck in March. Think about all the good teams in college basketball this year. Kentucky, Casey Wallace. Case Walls Wallace could eat Purdue for lunch just like, just like um, just like Jalen Huchafino did for Indiana. Arkansas with Anthony Black and Nick Smith, you think those guys aren't salivating at the opportunity to go up against this Purdue team? They would eat them alive in the pick and roll. Jalen Huchafino in Indiana if they play again at some point. Um, I'm just thinking Caleb Love at North Carolina. You mean to tell me if North Carolina is a is a nine-seed, a 10-seed, whatever? And they get North, they get Purdue in the second round, that Caleb Love can't go off for 30 like he does. Every team in college basketball has really good guards. And if you can't stop them, Baylor has good guards, Texas has good guards, Kansas has good guards, you're gonna be in trouble. Listen, I'm not here to pile on for Purdue fans. I don't think it's gonna be good for you. Come March.
0: That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over a 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No process. Advertised by law. 18+ terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper?
2: Let me just say this. Last Monday's show, on Monday, we talked about Kentucky beating Tennessee for a second time at this time last week. And I said at the time, I said, boy, oh boy, oh boy. I would not want to see Kentucky in my bracket right now. Kentucky is officially the team that nobody wants to see. And everybody got in the comments section on YouTube and everybody sent me DMs and everybody got in my my mentions on Twitter. And everybody said, Torres, you're such a Kentucky over. Oh, my God. You love, you'll never say anything bad about Kentucky. I'll never say anything bad about Kentucky. Are you kidding me? I criticized this team all November, December, and January. But what I also acknowledged, this team was getting better. They were starting to figure things out. The rotation had sorted itself out. And I felt really good about them going into this past week after the win against Tennessee two Saturdays ago. So why do I bring it up? It's because Auburn walked into Rupp Arena on Saturday. Auburn need, really kind of needing a win. Kentucky smacked the you-know-what out of them. Final score in that one, 86-54. to Kentucky wins by 32 and if we're honest, Auburn was down by 40 at one point in the second half. And Kentucky pulled all of its starters. And they still won by 32. So let's get into it. I'm not going to spend it. To listen, I have talked so much about Kentucky on this show. You don't need me to do another eight minutes on. Oh, this is what they do well. And this is what they don't do well. And this is their strengths. This is their weaknesses. But what I said was a couple things all along. I'm not perfect. I can criticize myself. I was critical of this team in this program. But what I also said was this team's going to figure it out. They're going to find a way. I have never once said they weren't making the NCAA tournament. And now you look at this team and think about who they've been since that South Carolina loss. South Carolina was their worst loss this season. It was in early January. And yes, it was the day where I tweeted and I said something to the effect of where were you when Kentucky basketball died? I get tagged on that tweet 10 times every time Kentucky wins, but Think about what Kentucky has done since that South Carolina game. Overall, they're 10 and three. Their only losses were to Kansas. Say that's a pretty good loss. Arkansas, Arkansas is a really good team. We'll talk about them in a minute with Alabama and to Georgia. And Georgia, to some people, felt cataclysmic at the time. And that was really like the last time that Kentucky was like, oh, they might not even make the tournament. And I just said, like, you understand Kentucky came into that game. Two of their top six players, Severe Wheeler and CJ Frederick, got hurt in the previous game and were not available. And that was also a game where Casey Wallace was in foul trouble. They weren't very good. And so I just bring it up to say, like, I tried to tell you, like, this team is going to be okay. Now, did I think they were going to go 10 of 13 at some point? No, but this is who they are. And they are one of the hottest teams in college basketball. And what I would also say about this team is... Let's give credit to the guy that everybody, including myself, I am guilty as charged. Let's give credit to that guy that we have criticized so much over these past few weeks and months and years, and John Calipari. Because at the end of the day with John Calipari, listen, you can pick apart his resume. Should he have won more championships? He has the best teams every year, blah, 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 this and that. You can say he should have won more, should have won this, should have won that. But one thing about Coach Cal outside of really two seasons well three seasons really but covid i don't think covid counts for anybody okay it's, a, it's it's a hall pass it's the college basketball hall pass that's what that's what that covid season was but the one thing about calipari's teams is that really um they have always 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 figured things out sometimes it's been january it's taken a while sometimes they've struggled in december but they've always figured it out by late january into february and in late february that is when they are going up 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 like the uh the plinko guy or you know the guy on price is right the little yodeler going up 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 the mountain that's kentucky every single february now it didn't happen last year but last year i'll get cal pass they were more banged up than we realized severe wheeler was in and out of the lineup kellen grady their star guard was hurt, was basically playing on two beat-up feet that I think required surgery after the season. 2021 was COVID, but even 2020, I remember talking about it at the time. They were at one point, I think, nine and four or something like that in December. They ended up winning the SEC regular season title. Bring it up to fast forward to this year. Listen, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to pretend that I was, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, all sunshine and rainbows back in whatever December and January but this is what Cal does every year he figures it out and once again he has this team peaking in March credit John Calipari final thought on Kentucky one they are almost certainly going to end up with a first round bye at the SEC tournament now if they were to lose their final two games they play Vanderbilt at home on Tuesday and then they play at Arkansas to close the regular season then they would not necessarily have a buy but this is a team, if they just take care of business, let's say they split the end of the regular season, they don't win at Arkansas, Arkansas is playing well, and they do what they're supposed to do in the SEC tournament, probably get to a semifinal, a final. They're probably going to end up on about the six line, the five line. And I'll just ask you, is this a team that you want to see? NBA guard, probably top 15 pick at point guard, Cason Wallace. Shooting in Antonio Reeves, who has been phenomenal. Three-point shooter, score. Chris Livingston figuring it out. By the way, credit to Cal. Cal has always bet on talent. Always bet on talent. He has pushed through with Chris Livingston. Chris Livingston has been awesome the last few weeks. And, of course, you have a National Player of the Year in Oscar Sheep way down low. You have Jacob Toppin who's playing like an All-SEC player on the wing. By the way, I get so many of you. You said Jacob Toppin was going to be a star this year. Well, guess what? Have you seen what Jacob Toppin's done the last few weeks? He's currently averaging, as we speak, 13.7 rebounds and 2.5 and assists per game. 13 and 12 against Auburn, 19 and 11 against Florida, 11 and 5 against the tough Tennessee team last week. Credit to Kentucky for figuring things out. Don't really think there's much to say about Auburn. I don't even think Auburn fans want to hear about Auburn right now. Finally, there is one other result that I do want to talk about from the Saturday night in college hoops uh, or Saturday in college hoops. And it's a continuation of this Brandon Miller, Arkansas story. I think a lot of people probably think this might have been the biggest story that came out of college basketball on Saturday, and you might be right. But Alabama, we've talked a ton about it the last two, two episodes. So I'm not going to get into the details, the who, what, when, where, why. But at this point, Alabama has seemingly made the decision that they are going to continue to play Brandon Miller, and they are going to continue to face the public backlash. And we can argue, is it right? Is it wrong? Is it whatever? Well, on Saturday, they hosted Arkansas. And I'm sure in a video that you all saw, there was a pregame introduction where apparently one of Alabama's walk-ons, Adam Cottrell, a guy that everybody in that program loves, comes up to Brandon Miller during those introductions and gives him a pat down, almost like a police frisking. For those of you who did not see the video, uh, it is readily available on social media. So listen, at this point, I've said everything there is to say about Alabama. Um, I don't think that I would be playing him right now if it was my decision, but there are no charges pressed, and you can go back and listen to what I've said about this whole situation. But why I bring it up, after the game, Nate Oates was asked about it. Nate Oates said he wasn't aware. Nate Oates also said um, that the team as a whole is going to put an end to it. Let me say something a little bit unpopular. Nate Oates has taken a lot of heat over the last week And I think it's justified the wrong place, wrong time thing. I don't know if he really knew what was going on, but he shouldn't have said it. Then there's the follow-up. Then there's this, then there's that. I do not blame Nate Oates for the pregame introduction. You might disagree with me. That's fine. But at the end of the day, the head coach has to have his finger on the pulse of so many things, game plan, recruiting, transfer portal, media uh, uh, necessities, At some point, the players have to have awareness about what is going on. And I bring it up because, listen, I've heard the last few weeks, I I in many ways, I've said it, I, I do feel a tiny bit of sympathy for Brandon Miller. And I'm not saying we should, you know, feel awful for him because ultimately we all know that very likely if Brandon Miller does not deliver that gun to allegedly deliver the gun to the scene of the crime, then Jamia Harris is probably still alive. And we're going to find out in the coming weeks how much he was involved, how much he knew all that stuff. But I do sort of feel bad for him. But I will also say this. At the end of the day, he has to know that the spotlight is in him, is on him, and everything that he does, everything that he does is going to be micromanaged, overanalyzed, all of that. And so I I think as a 20-year-old, he has to have a little self-awareness of whether I knew, whether I didn't know, I put myself in a bad situation that has now put a spotlight on this entire program and everyone is watching my every move. And so I don't blame Nate Oates. Nate Oates is trying to put together a game plan to beat Arkansas. Nate Oates is trying to figure things out. Nate Oates is trying to win an SEC regular season title. Nate Oates is obviously dealing with a media backlash. He's trying to keep his play. It has to be on the player at some point. And Brandon Miller is 20 years old. I don't know how old this this, this walk-on is, but Brandon Miller is 20 years old. And it's interesting because I've been told for years, these aren't kids. Don't call them kids. You know, we talk about should they even have to go to college? Should they be allowed to go to the NBA? They're not kids. They're eighteen years old. If you can fight in a, a for the military, if you can serve for the military, then you should be able to go play in the NBA. Well, if we're determining at eighteen that they're adult enough to earn a living as a professional, then don't tell me Brandon Miller is a kid in this situation. And again. I'm not going to relitigate the entire night that ultimately led to the unfortunate passing of Jamea Harris. But if you're 20 years old, you have to know that the spotlight is on you in every moment. I don't blame Nate Oates for that. Excuse me, for that whole pat down thing. You got to know Brandon Miller. You got to know Adam Catrell, the walk on. You just have to know better and I'm not here to, to, to yell and scream and say it's the worst thing that ever happened, but it is a lack of awareness. It is a lack of self-awareness. And hopefully, hopefully everybody learns from this. And obviously look, we'll continue to cover the Brandon Miller aspect of things as the season unfolds. It does not appear as though Alabama is going to pull him, but I will just tell you what I told you on last show. If you think this story is slowing down, because Alabama has made its decision, you got another thing coming to you. This is going to continue to be a story as they finish up their season. Two games left in the regular season, Auburn at home on Saturday or Auburn at home this week on Wednesday and then on the road at Texas A&M. By the way, from strictly a basketball perspective, Alabama will clinch an outright regular season title with either win against Auburn or A&M on the road. A M lost on third on Saturday to Mississippi state. So Alabama is one win away from an outright regular season title. And obviously they have clinched at least a share of the regular season title with their win against Arkansas from the Arkansas perspective. You know, I don't think there's a ton to really discuss. Um, Nick Smith jr. Did have 24 points. It was a very inefficient 20, 24 points on 23 shots for him. Um, and it'll be interesting to see. I mean, he played all 40 minutes, you know, Muss is obviously riding with his guys that he believes are difference makers. And I, what I would just say about Nick Smith is I, I he looks to me like a young freshman. That's pressing too hard. And, and I'll be curious to see Arkansas has obviously just two games left in the regular season. They will play at Tennessee this weekend, 10 uh, or at Tennessee on Tuesday night, Kentucky at home on Saturday, and I'm curious to see how Nick Smith handles things because obviously Kentucky or uh, Arkansas has a different upside with him in the lineup, but he was a guy that I thought on on Saturday looked like he was pressing, looked like he was trying to do too much. And that's not what Arkansas needs from him right now. They need him to play within himself. They need him to get buckets. They need him to play within the context of a team. So it'll be interesting. Two tough games left for Arkansas, and we'll find out. This team, I still think, is very dangerous. You put this team on the nine line and put them against Purdue in round two. You know how I probably feel about how that game will go down. But Arkansas gets uh, the loss there. Two big games left. They are 19 and 10 overall. Obviously, in a perfect world, they want to at least split the final two regular season games, if not win outright. But I'll tell you, they're a scary team going into the SEC tournament. Um, and I think that's really it for, for results. I will say two quick thoughts on the Big East. One, UConn. I know. I know. I'm the UConn homer guy. Get mad at me. Whatever. Quiet. They went to to Madison Square Garden, taken over by UConn fans. It was about 70-30 UConn and dominated that game. They dominated St. John's. They beat St. John's. They get the victory. UConn's now quietly in the last calendar month, six and one in their last seven. The only loss was to Creighton on the road. This is a very dangerous team. And you want to talk about dangerous. I'll say this. I got to take an L. This will be in where Aaron was wrong this week. Villanova. So if you remember, I think it was on Tuesday or Wednesday show last week. I said, you know, I like Villanova, but, you know, everybody was freaking out. They're fully healthy, blah, 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 blah. And I said, I don't know if I'm fully buying Villanova. Well, they played Creighton at home on Saturday, and they gave a butt-kicking for the ages. They win by 12. And all of a sudden, this Villanova team, so Villanova right now, 15 and 14 overall, nine and nine in big east play. However, since they got their full roster back, they are they've quietly won five of their last six and five of seven overall since they got their full group back, including Justin Moore, a starter on last year's Final Four team that got hurt prior to the Final Four. They're currently five and one in their last six, five and two in their last seven since he came back. And you start to look at that bracket. Now, they still have Seton Hall at home, a Seton Hall on the road, UConn at home to end the regular season this year. Right now, they're looking like they could potentially be about the six or so seed in in the Big East tournament. Imagine playing all year to get Villanova as the sixth seed in your bracket. They're playing their best basketball credit to Kyle Neptune, the head coach, and we'll see what happens from there. All right. That was a fun first episode, fun first segment of this episode of the Aaron Torres pod. This is what I'm going to do. Take a quick break. I'm going to come back. I think there's two interesting realignments. Realignment is the story that will not go away. So one, we had Florida uh, State's an administrator from Florida State. He just kind of threw down the gauntlet. He's like, we need a better deal than we got. We'll discuss that. And then the Pac-12, you thought it was bad. It somehow keeps getting worse. We'll take a quick break. Be right back. All right, we're getting back to the show in a minute. But before we do, I want to welcome back our presenting sponsor, Betfred Sportsbook and the Betfred Sportsbook app. By now, you know Betfred's story. Started in 1967 in the UK. Over 1,600 shops in the UK have come to the United States and made a major splash. They are the presenting sponsor of the Cincinnati Bengals, Colorado Rockies. Denver Broncos. And what I love about working with Betfred, nobody does more for their customers than Betfred does. Okay, I've told you before, but I'm going to keep telling you. Cincinnati Bengals games, that Betfred suite is rocking. They had a New Year's Eve into New Year's Day party for the launch of sports betting in the state of Ohio. Shout out to all of you who were there. Obviously, beyond that, there is the Denver Broncos VIP tailgates. We have sent listeners of this show to those tailgates. Colorado Rockies. First pitch at those games. Bet Fred does more for their customers than anybody. And here is what they are doing for listeners of the Aaron Torres podcast. Okay. So what you got to do, bet 50 on any game and new users. How about this? Get up to a thousand dollars in free bets. There are no catches. There are no gimmicks. Here's what you need to know. Bet 50 on any game. You get automatically $111 in free bets. But beyond that, you get $200 insurance on your first five weeks as a Betfred customer. So you decided, hey, I'm going to bet this big game, $100, $200, whatever. You end up losing it. They're going to insure you for that game. So up to five weeks, up to $200, plus $111 for signing up for Betfred today. If you're going to want to do it. Download the Betfred Sportsbook app. Tell them Torres sent you. Thank you to our presenting sponsor, the Betfred Sportsbook. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. I do want to switch gears, and and I want to kind of talk about the story that just won't go away, and I don't think it's going away at any point in the near future, and that is college sports realignment. By the way, unrelated to anything, I just did like 35 minutes on college hoops. How about that? But let's stick with realignment because, again, this is a story that is ever-evolving. It is fascinating. It is changing the way we consume, watch, and think about college sports. And I don't know if there's ever going to be a finish line to it. But over the course of the weekend, we got two very interesting stories from two very clear parties that are not happy with their setup. We are going to talk about the poor Pac-12, which I I think they're a deep, deep, you know what, in a minute. But before we get to the Pac-12, I do want to start with what I thought was actually a very interesting story out of Florida State University, Florida State. We all know, you know, Tomahawk Chop, Bobby Bowden, Florida State football. uh, And they're really kind of coming off of a really uh, renaissance type season under Mike Norvell this past season, 10 and three overall win the bowl game. And there is a lot of buzz about Florida State football going into this season. The most buzz that they've had in a while. Well, They are currently in the ACC on the outside looking in. And as I've said from day one, hour one, minute one, since Texas and Oklahoma left for the SEC, and then shortly thereafter, a year or so later, USC and UCLA left for the Big Ten. Everybody who is not in the Big Ten or the SEC is trying to angle, trying to figure out how do we get in there and how do we get a cut of that massive TV revenue? Well, on Friday, uh, Michael Alford, the Florida State Athletic Director, was speaking to his board of trustees, and a lot of the information that he was speaking about actually leaked out, but essentially what his whole conversation came down to was this. Florida State is not happy with their setup in the ACC, and Florida State is desperately trying to get one of two things done with the ACC. One, they're just trying to get out. And we're going to talk about it in a minute. I don't know if that's very likely. Or two, they're trying to figure out a way, how do we maybe set up an uneven distribution model? In other words, the biggest brands, the Florida States, the Clemsons, the Miamis, maybe the North Carolinas and Dukes, I don't know. How do those schools get a bigger chunk of the pie than the Syracuses and the Pitts and the Wake Forest and the Boston Colleges that most people don't care about? So that was essentially what the conversation was about, but... Well, I would like to sit here and tell Florida State fans that this is all going to get worked out and everything's going to be okay and everything's going to be good. I don't know if that's the case. The Florida State AD can want whatever he wants. It doesn't mean that it's going to happen. And I think this is a fascinating story taking you behind the scenes on the stress levels that come right now from every college fan base that is not currently in the SEC or the Big Ten as they try to figure out the future of college sports. And so let's get into it. And really, to understand Florida State's situation, you really have to understand the ACC situation. And obviously, like every conference over the last probably two decades, um, you know they, they've seen a lot of turnover and turmoil in their conference. Now, some of it was they created the turmoil, adding Syracuse and adding through you know really over the last twenty years, Miami and football, and Virginia Tech in football, Boston College, Syracuse, Pitt, etc. Um, but they also lost Maryland. And shortly after Mer- well, they lost Maryland and, and really kind of at was what was a quiet time in conference realignment a few years back, they they had their TV deal come up. And basically to protect themselves, to make sure that nobody was going to take their, their best teams the way that they took other people's best teams, the way that the SEC just took Texas and Oklahoma, et cetera, the ACC put in a wild TV contract to make sure to keep all of the schools in the conference together the tv contract are you ready for this it runs through the 2036 calendar year so in other words the acc schools that are currently there are contractually obligated to stay together for another 13 years um another 13 years and keep in mind they signed for dollar amounts, you know, a couple of years ago that are nothing quite like what the Big Ten and the SEC were going to get. Now, listen, the Big Ten and the SEC are completely different behemoths, but the ACC went first, and as this AD, Florida State's Michael Alford said, we're at going to be at such a deficit, I don't know how we can keep up as an athletic department. He pointed out smartly, um, he pointed out, I think, very smartly, we're going to fall behind at some points about $30 million a year in TV revenue. And it's not just $30 million. It's $30 million year after year after year. So even the worst teams in the SEC, even the Vanderbilts, even the Mississippi States, even the uh, Purdue's and Illinois's and Iowa's in the Big Ten, they're going to be making not only $30 million more than us in TV revenue, they're going to be making $30 million more every single season. And we're going to fall behind. And here's the other part. All of those TV contracts are up before the ACC's is. So I don't mean to get nerdy here. But the Big Ten just signed for roughly $80 million a year per school every season, 70 to 80, depending on what number you have. And their contract actually ends. They're going to be able to renegotiate for more money before the ACC's come up. So this is a bad contract. This is a bad deal. And Florida State is basically freaking out. And I think he actually has... A pretty strong argument as to why something needs to be changed basically his argument is listen one we'd like to get out of this tv contract and explore our options the number ballpark is like 120 or so million which we'll explain in a minute but then two he's basically saying look if we got to stay we have to work with this league and figure out a way to get uneven distribution to get us more money than everybody else and he points out to a couple very interesting numbers He basically said over the course of the college football playoff era. So since 2014 to 2022 um, Florida state averages 70% more viewers on average than the average ACC school. And we're coming off a year where even in a year where Florida state came in unranked, not a lot of hype. They still had three of the highest rated games in the ACC uh, this season, seven plus million for their black Friday game against Florida, way more for their Sunday season opener against LSU And he's basically saying, like, we're falling way behind in this ACC. We got to figure out a way to get out. But if we don't, we got to make sure that we're getting a a situation money wise that's commensurate with what we bring. In other words, why are we going to get the same amount as Boston College when Boston College isn't bringing nearly as many eyeballs to TVs as we are? So that was what the whole conversation was about. But now, I hate to say it, I'm going to rain on the parade of of every Florida State fan and every Florida State administrator because I don't see them getting out of the TV deal. I don't see them getting out of the ACC, and I don't see the league itself rearranging its TV rights. Listen, we all want things in life. I want somebody to pay me millions of dollars to go sit on a beach and drink cold drinks every day. Doesn't mean it's going to happen, and I think Florida State is kind of stuck where they are. In terms of just leaving the ACC, I think we essentially have to eliminate that as even a remote possibility, okay? Because as I said, the second that Texas and Oklahoma decided to leave for the SEC, I told you on this show, I said every school that's not in the Big Ten and not in the SEC is trying to figure out a way to get to to one of those two conferences. If you remember my buddy Mark Ryan, radio host in South Carolina, he reported that Clemson and Florida State had discussions with the SEC. He got crushed by all the Big J media. But he was 100%. I said he was 100% right because, of course, everybody is having discussions. Everybody's trying to figure out how to get out. But when you do that, you have to go through the TV contract and figure out a way to get out of this contract that runs another 13 years. Well, here's the problem. It's really hard to get out of a contract that was written in such a way that it was like, like, just think about this at the most basic level, okay? So if you're the ACC four, five, six years ago, you want to make sure that nobody can get out of a contract to leave your conference anytime soon. You are going to write an airtight contract that makes it impossible for anybody to leave. That was the contract that was put in place. And of course, that was the contract that was put in place because of course, that's the contract that you want. So no, it's not easy to get out of this contract because it was written that way. At the request of all 15 schools in the the ACC or 14 plus Notre Dame, whatever you want to say, it was written this way so it wasn't easy to get out of. I guarantee you the legal counsels of some of these schools, my guess would probably be North Carolina, maybe Virginia, Clemson, Florida State, Miami. They've been trying to figure out a way out of this contract for probably two years now and it's not happening. And it's because the contract was written in such a way that you're not supposed to be able to get out of it to keep everybody together. So that's one. I think it's also worth noting, by the way, I know I saw some people throw out a number of, well, you know, Texas and Oklahoma are paying $100 million to get out of that Big 12 contract. Um, and so maybe Florida State could just write a check for 100 or $120 million. Here's the problem. One, there was only one year left on the Big 12 contract. Two, the Big 12 was the one that wanted them out of the conference. We talked about it when, we, when it was announced that Texas and Oklahoma are leaving a year ahead of schedule. The Big Twelve wanted them out. The ACC doesn't want North uh, doesn't want Florida State out. And so my understanding is, if the ACC just says no, you can pay whatever you want, but you do not own your broadcast rights until twenty thirty six. And so you can leave. You can pay a million dollars or a hundred million dollars or a billion dollars to leave the ACC. But if you but but you won't control your broadcast rights. Your new conference won't own your broadcast rights. And so because of it you're kind of just stuck where you are. You can pay whatever you want to leave, but if you can't broadcast your games, if your games can't be broadcast anywhere, then it doesn't matter. Now, the uneven distribution of revenue part, that one's interesting as well. And I hope I'm not nerding out too hard, but this is a very important story in the college sports ecosystem. And the uneven revenue distribution is basically, again, Florida State saying, we make way more for this conference than Boston College or Syracuse or Pitt. No disrespect to any Boston College fan that's listening if they exist, but it's the truth. But the problem with now going to the ACC and saying, we want to renegotiate this deal is the deal is in place because you agreed to it and because every school in the conference agreed to it. And so you can't now go to the ACC because remember, the ACC knows you have nowhere to go. They know that the contract is written in such a way that's basically like, you're stuck with us till 2036. Now, imagine going to the ACC and saying, OK, well, if we're stuck till 2036 and there's nothing we can do, but we want you to redo the TV deal so that we get a bigger share than Boston College of Syracuse. Boston College of Syracuse is going to say no way. And the ACC is going to say no way for one simple reason. It's because you, Florida State, as an institution, agreed to it. It's because you agreed to it. It's because you agreed to it. So if So why is Boston College going to give up money to a contract that you agreed to? I'll give you a really terrible example, but I think it's apples to apples. Imagine you and I decide to open up. Are you ready for this? Let's say we open up a hair salon, me and you. And we agree for the next 13 years, we are going to split revenues 50-50 on this thing. And we have a contract that we both agree to that we have decided that no matter what happens, we each get 50% of the revenue. Now imagine that we open up this salon. And a year, two years, six months in, 80 or 90% of the requests, let's just say 70% because Florida State rates 70% better than the average ACC team. Let's say 70% of all the hair appointment requests come for you. And you come to me and say, "Say I'm creating 70% of the revenue here, maybe even more because I'm taking non-requests as well. I want a bigger cut of the pie. It's a It's a very admirable thing. It's an understandable thing. And you know what I'm going to say? and say, I got this little piece of paper right here. See this? I'm I'm crumpling it up in my hands. I got that piece of paper right there. And I don't really care what you do. You can't go anywhere because this contract that we agreed to says that we're stuck in this place next 13 years. You can't go to another salon. You can't go to another place. You can't rent out another building. You're stuck here. That's where ACC is. The ACC is at. And in this example, you might be Florida state and I might be Boston college. But Boston College is getting that same check. So it's a fascinating story. um, And I think it speaks to just where we are in realignment right now. Listen, I've said it. Everybody wants to be in the Big Ten or the SEC. I've been saying that for a year and a half. I've been saying that since the 2nd in July of 2020 when Texas and Oklahoma announced they were leaving for the SEC. But just because you want something doesn't mean you're going to get it. And Florida State fans, I hate to say it. I think you're in deep, deep, deep trouble
0: And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void are prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All
2: right, finally, let's wrap the show uh, with one other realignment story. And let me just say this. If you thought the Florida State situation was bad with the ACC – uh, it somehow just gets way, way, way worse with the Pac-12. Not trying to be negative, Nancy here on a Monday. Certainly, uh, want to have a you know kind of a, a glowing outlook on things, but things are just not looking good for the Pac-12. And so, when we last talked about the state of the Pac-12. As usual, surprise, surprise! I was ahead of this story as as I usually am on most things college sports. Okay, so about two, two and a half, three weeks ago, whatever it was, the Pac-12 has a meeting with SMU. uh George Klejovkov, the commissioner of the Pac-12, is actually at an SMU basketball game, and everybody starts talking about, oh, expansion, San Diego State, SMU, UNLV, Boise State. Who is the Pac-12 gonna take next? And I said. Wait a second now. I know everybody's talking about expansion. I know it's fun to talk about it. It's fun to think about. But before we start talking about who the Pac-12 is going to add, are we sure the ten schools that are currently in the Pac-12 minus USC and UCLA who leave after this this football season and beyond? Are we sure that everybody is really together? Because while we just talked about Florida State, while we just talked about the fact that Florida State and the ACC is basically locked in together. For the next 13 years, it's actually the exact opposite for the Pac-12. The Pac-12 does not have a TV deal beyond this next coming football and basketball season. In other words, after June of 2024, there is no legal obligation to anyone in the Pac-12 anywhere, except, of course, with USC and UCLA who are signed with the Big Ten. And so while everybody is saying all the right things and we're in this together, it feels as though we're starting to get to the point where everybody in this conference is really getting antsy and everybody is really kind of looking at, is it time for me to look somewhere else? And so we've gotten a few new updates in the last couple of days, but all of them paint a bleak picture for the Pac-12. And I think it's kind of important to kind of give context as to what is going on. When we last talked about this, I said I don't know if there are real bidders for the Pac-12 for a couple reasons. The biggest reason is most of these other conferences have already signed their contracts through an extended period of time, 5, 10, 12, in the case of the Pac-12 uh, the ACC 13 years, and so most of the money is tied up everywhere. Most of these uh, most of the, the the major distributors of sports content have their contracts set up and they don't need more inventory. NBC is all good with Notre Dame and the new Big Ten contract. CBS is giving up the SEC after this year, but they have the Big Ten and they have the Mountain West for late night games on the West Coast, specifically for CBS Sports Network. Um, NBC, I just said, Fox, they signed the Big Ten deal, and obviously they are one of two distributors of the Big 12 now. The new Big 12 without Texas and Oklahoma – and ESPN kind of has their, their their fingers in the cookie jar of everyone other than the Big Ten. They have the SEC for the foreseeable future. They have the ACC through 2036. They have the Big 12, a part of that package. And so I think ESPN would technically be interested, but they're not going to overpay for what they believe to be an inferior product. Now, we can argue if it's inferior, because if you look at the Pac-12 football you know, status right now, it's actually pretty good. Oregon's really good. Utah's really good. Uh, Washington has improved. Colorado is going to be interesting with Coach Prime, Deion Sanders. But ESPN is kind of like, we'll pay, but we're not going to go crazy overspending because we just spent a bunch on the SEC and a little bit on the Big 12. And so it's put the Pac-12 in this, this bad situation. And the last few weeks have even made it worse. Because the one thing about the Pac-12 that I think we all thought was that there was this pot of gold at the end of the TV rainbow that are called the streaming networks. And I think most of us thought okay, the SEC, listen, the SEC is the the Goliath. They're not going to streaming. They don't want to make it hard for their fans to find their games. Big 10 Big 10 doesn't have to. The Big 12 is mostly going to be on linear TV. Uh the ACC is going to be on linear TV. But if there's one conference that is going to give that, that is going to say, "You know what? We will be the guinea pig for streaming. We will be the conference that goes to Amazon Prime, Apple TV, whatever it is. And I hate to nerd out on these apps. Many of you don't even use these apps, but I'm just saying like the Pac-12 was the one that felt like, okay, we're going to have to do this, but there will be a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. It's all going to work out. We're going to get our schools all this money. Well, just one problem. The reports the last few weeks are not very good. Uh, Amazon TV, I don't want to say they have no interest, but they just spent what? A billion dollars a year on the NFL? You think they're in a rush to to overspend for the Pac-12 just to have content? They have plenty of content. They have they, have, you know, for the twenty five million that they would have to pay Utah or Arizona State, they can go make two or three movies that you're going to watch and stream. And I'm not a streaming expert, but you get the point. Then there was talk about Apple TV. Well, Apple TV is going to get in the mix. Well, just one problem. Brett McMurphy, really well respected college football reporter, put out this tweet on Thursday, on Friday, excuse me. He said Apple TV still has not made a formal offer for the Pac-12 media rights. But it gets worse, Pac-12 fans, because here is what he said. He said that Ion TV, something called Ion TV has emerged as a potential Pac-12 partner, sources told Action Network. Ion TV is owned by EW Scripps Company, which has 61 local TV stations nationwide and launched Scripps Sports this past year. I'll be honest. When I saw this report, I made the joke but it wasn't really a joke. I think Ion TV is a real thing, but I'm not 100% sold. Is Bright Murphy making this up? Is this a real account? No, it's a real account and it shows you how bleak things are for the Pac-12. Right now, there are no real bidders that we know of for this league. And so what's going to happen is one of three things, and none of them is really good right now for the Pac-12. One they're just going to have to take a substantially below market value. And the ACC was just complaining about falling 30 million behind of the SEC and the Big Ten every year. The Pac-12 might even be worse. Is that 25 million a year per school per team? Is it 20 million a year per school? I don't know, but it's not going to be even in the stratosphere of the Big Ten and the SEC, and it might even be behind the ACC and the Big 12. So that's one. That's option number one. Option number two is you go all streaming and nobody can find your games for a league that's already struggling with exposure. Imagine being Dan Lanning, the football coach at Oregon, having to walk into the home right after Alabama and say, Yeah, you know, you just got to connect the router to this and, you know, Amazon Prime and you'll figure it out and Ion TV. Not good. Those are the two best case scenarios. Either you get underpriced and get on linear TV or you end up almost exclusively on streaming. And then three, and this is probably at this point, and I hate to say it, the most realistic option. I don't know if the Pac-12 is going to make it. And I want the Pac-12 to make it. I live on the West Coast. I think it's good for college sports to have a West Coast presence. But I it does feel like everybody's starting to get antsy. And as I said at the beginning, all the schools are saying all the right things, but it's one thing to say the right thing, and it's another thing when push comes to shove, and you got to figure out, what the be- what is best for the future of your school? Yeah, Arizona and Arizona State and Colorado and Oregon and Washington want to stay together, but if the better alternative is to do your own thing, then they're gonna do it. And so a couple things to watch here. First, the Big Ten. They're gonna have a new commissioner. Kevin Warren is on the way out. We've talked about that quite a bit. What happens to the Big Ten? Do they reconsider expansion? Is Washington and Oregon on the table? Is Stanford and Cal the two academic powers on the table? That's worth monitoring. And then the one that's really worth monitoring is the four corner schools, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, and Colorado. Do they go to the Big 12 with obviously the Oklahoma States, the Baylors, the things like that? I hope the Pac-12 stays together. I think in their heart of hearts, the 10 schools want to but they're not going to take a terrible TV deal just to stay together. This is kind of sad, and it's definitely something worth watching. All right, what an episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast jam-packed show, uh, and it is time for me to get out of here. Before I do, I want to remind everybody, make sure you're subscribed to Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure to subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Follow on YouTube. The YouTube channel has blown up. I cannot thank everybody for their support there. We are doing numbers that I could have never imagined even six months ago, a year ago, whatever, as we approach 21,000 subscribers on YouTube. Make sure you're following there and make sure you're subscribed because we're going to have a lot of fun stuff come March. March is right around the corner. I'll tell you what, we're actually going to do an extra episode on Tuesday. What I will do is I will give you the picture, the NCAA tournament picture for all of the major conferences. That'll be more of a hoops-type show, but we got to get out of here for today. Busy show. I think it was a very good educational show, though, but it is time for me to go. So with that said, you already know what I'm going to do. Shout-out to Torrent Craig. Shout-out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout-out to JJ Redick, you F-head. Unblock me, bro. Shout-out ION TV. By the way, Pac-12, Aaron Torres Media will broadcast your games. Give me a call. I'm available. Be back Tuesday. Aaron Torres Pod.
1: Step into the world of power.
0: 18 plus.